Hi everybody, this is Ben, and this is Ben's Week in Medical School, sharing knowledge about the human body and glimpses into life in medical school. This podcast is just for your entertainment and education. I do my best to present accurate information, but this is not any professional medical advice. The podcast is a personal project and does not represent the views of my medical school or any organizations I'm affiliated with. Welcome back, everybody. It is week 18 of medical school that's coming to a close this Sunday. This is episode 15 of the podcast. We're on our third out of five weeks of immunology. And uh, this week I was playing a lot of catch up. I didn't get as much done as I wanted to over the Thanksgiving break. So I kind of trimmed back my extracurriculars and focused mostly on getting all of my readings done before Friday and um, doing extra flashcarding and just trying to get back on top of things before the final push the last two weeks of the block that happened before the winter break and the Christmas holidays. I want to talk a little bit about vaccines. Um, at school, we heard that that as soon as the FDA approves the Pfizer-Moderna vaccine, that our hospital system is probably going to start vaccinating some of the healthcare providers. I don't think that is going to include um, medical students in their first year, like me, but it might include our later medical student, later year medical students, and definitely the medical residents who are actually working in the hospitals and um, nursing staff, hopefully, and other hospital workers and physicians. That would be a big deal to start preventing spread of coronavirus in the hospital, uh, keeping healthcare workers safer, and then also making it so that fewer of them have to miss work and can still care for other patients for the whole winter. I believe that the vi- the vaccine that we would have access to in our hospital system would be the Pfizer-Moderna vaccine because we have a lot of ties with Pfizer in Western Michigan. That happens to be one of the vaccines that needs to be stored at very, very cold temperatures. And so it's difficult to transport it around the world. But one possibility is that it could actually be produced in other parts of the world because the um, because you don't need to grow it inside of animals. You can use more laboratory techniques. Um, so it might be able to be made in many factories depending on what those companies decide. The CureVac vaccine is another one that's gotten a lot of attention and it's also a DNA vaccine. And one thing that's really positive about that one is, is that it could be stored in a regular refrigerator um, at like 40 degrees Fahrenheit instead of negative 70 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 90 degrees Fahrenheit. So that would make it much more transportable and it's very attractive for parts of the world where you can't keep something cold all the way from the factory to where the vaccine has to be administered. So I'm keeping up on all the news I can with these vaccines and um, reading all the emails that our school sends out. I haven't had any firm dates. I think the FDA is going to meet on December 17th and they're having open, transparent meetings about the results from the Pfizer-Moderna vaccine on that day. And they're going to then um, discuss all the information that they have in front of the public 
and make a decision about whether an emergency use authorization should be granted for the vaccine. I think it's great that they're doing all of that transparently, and I think it's an important step in order to give people confidence in the vaccine um, and allay fears that there's that they're cutting corners on safety in order to go faster. Um, it seems like that should help a lot. I'm actually hoping to tune in next, um, I guess it's a week from Thursday, but that's a day before my uh, pre-winter exam. So I'm not sure if I'll be able to make it or not, but I'll definitely be reading the news about it. We talked a little bit about how people and how health insurance pays for medical care in this country. And that's been a big issue in in the news, um, but I didn't really know that much about how it works. And there basically used to be two different ways that insurers would pay out for services. One would be that they would that uh, healthcare providers like a surgeon or a primary care physician would just bill for whatever services they rendered, and that was called fee for service. Um, the problem is is that if patients get really sick then there's going to be a lot of bills coming from surgeons and, and providers and hospitals. And so that can overwhelm the insurance company and that they can go out of business um, or they can just pay a lot more than they, than they were hoping to. Um, so all of the risk is on the insurance company. Another model is called capitated and it comes from the Latin for head. Uh, so it's per capita types of payment. And so in that model, which is more like what happens with HMOs, the hospitals get paid for every, a fixed amount for every patient that they cover for every year. And so in that model, actually all of the risk has been transferred to the hospital. So if one patient, let's say they get $4,000 a year to cover to cover a patient, let's say me, I didn't go to the hospital last year, so I didn't cost them basically hardly anything. But then somebody else who got into a car accident and is also managing diabetes, they might have been to the hospital a few times. Um, and so they might have $20,000 of bills for that year. So all of the risk at that point uh, is in the hospital because they're only going to get $4,000 for the patient, no matter what happens to that patient in a given year. So um, those are two different models um, that have some pretty interesting effects on how people want to try to give care. You can imagine in the fee-for-service model, it makes sense for providers to um, give their patients the most, the latest and greatest of all types of tests and diagnostic procedures because they get paid for giving those tests. Um, in the capitated model, um, there's an incentive to do the cheapest procedures because the person who the, the hospital system doesn't want to have to pay more than, than the $4,000 that they're getting for each patient in a year. So those payment systems are going to be something that I'm sure I'll get a lot more exposure to um, as I continue my training and then go on to practice. Okay, here's a cool one. 
we learned about some parasites, parasitic infections, and there's a parasite which is actually really common in um, all over the world. A lot of people just have it and don't know, um, like maybe 25% of people or something. It's it's just around, and it can be in your body, and it might make you sick sometimes, but it's just not that that big of a deal for most people unless you're immune compromised. The main place where it comes from is cats. And interestingly, cats can infect rodents and also people. I think if you have contact with cat poop. So cat feces have the eggs or the, the little cysts that then can get into your digestive system and infect you. When rats are infected with toxoplasma, it may actually desensitize them to the smell of cat urine. And what's incredible is that then a cat might be able to sneak up better on that rat and eat it. And that cat would then get infected with more of the toxoplasma parasite. So there's this amazing little quirk of, um, of evolution that might help this parasite spread. Right now we're focused a lot on learning about antibiotic medications. There are tons of different organisms that can infect the human body, and there are antibiotics that target different groups of them. And it's important to know to match the right antibiotic to the right type of infection so that you're not treating the wrong thing. That'll have no effect. Or you're not using an antibiotic that has too much um, impact or even toxicity like a side effect on the human body when it's not necessary. Well, I think that's all that I had planned to talk about tonight, so I'm going to end it there. Thanks everybody for listening. I didn't answer any questions from email this week, um, but I think I will have some for next week to answer. So if you have any questions, please feel free to email me at b-r-o-o-t at fastmail.com. Thank you to David Funkhauser for our intro and outro music. Have a great week, everybody.